You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins for Tuesday, February 7th. I'm Portia Cook, your news director. And I, along with Lee Zempel, are the voices behind the Rocky Mountain Review news broadcast that airs every Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. We here at the Rocky Mountain Review strive to give you the most up-to-date, unbiased, and factual news. On today's show, CSU personnel is looking for the students who shouted Russia at a Ukrainian player during Saturday's CSU's basketball game against Utah State. And find out what two Fort Collins state representatives are backing a newly proposed gun control bill. Later in the show, the hosts of the Runner of FOCO podcast sit down for an interview with Beth Wright, an attorney for the Native Americans' Right Fund with an impressive career in running and advocacy. Wright shares her experiences on prayer runs, her thoughts on CSU's land acknowledgement, and the importance of running in her own heritage. And with that, let's move right into campus news with Lee Zempel. I'm Lee Zempel, and here are your campus news updates. CSU is trying to find the students who shouted Russia at a Ukrainian player during Saturday's basketball game against Utah State. Max Shulga, who plays for Utah and is from Kiev, Ukraine, was at the free throw line when CSU students started chanting Russia at him. His family still resides in Ukraine. Russia's invasion began almost a year ago, but the war is ongoing. A spokesperson said on Monday that CSU officials are still reviewing video footage from the game to identify the students responsible. Ryan Pfeiffer, a CSU athletic spokesperson, issued an apology on behalf of CSU to the player a couple hours after the game, calling the chanting unacceptable and a violation of the university principles of community. The incident went national over the weekend, putting CSU on the radar and stories from CNN, ESPN, and others. Shogar released a written statement Sunday saying that he accepted and appreciated CSU's apologies. Contributions to this story come from the Coloradoan and the Collegian. Elevated Voices is the name of a short film that was made by CSU students, and it'll be premiering soon at the Lori Student Center. Four students partnered with professional filmmakers to make a documentary about conservation that pushes for inclusivity and equity in outdoor access for all in Colorado. The film features the experiences of Coloradans who are marginalized in outdoor spaces, but work towards conservation anyway. Caroline Baker, one of the students selected to help produce, film, and edit the documentary, said that part of the goal was to show that Black, Indigenous, and people of color are on the front lines making the most difference in conservation, but they are often overlooked. The first screening of Elevated Voices will happen at the LSC on February 23rd, and another will be in Denver in March. Both screenings will be free, but donations will be accepted. You can register to attend either event and see the film's trailer on CSU Source News. Thank you for listening to this round of Campus News Updates. I'm Lee Zimpel. Up next, find out what two Fort Collins representatives are backing Colorado's proposed Mass Shooting Prevention Act of 2023, This and more in local news with Portia Cook. In local news, with a newly proposed gun control bill, Colorado could see stricter gun laws in the future. Two Fort Collins state representatives say they are backing the bill. According to Molly Bohannon of the Coloradoan, Democratic Representative Andrew Bosenbecker, who represents House District 53, which covers northern Fort Collins, will serve as one of the main sponsors of the Mass Shooting Prevention Act. Representative Kathy Kipp, who represents South Fort Collins in District 52, is also listed as another House sponsor of the bill. So what is the Mass Shooting Prevention Act of 2023? Well, the bill is all about preventing mass shootings by prohibiting certain gun-related actions. More specifically, and according to a draft of the bill, the Mass Shooting Prevention Act would prohibit, quote, a person from manufacturing, importing, purchasing, selling, offering to sell, 
or transferring ownership of an assault weapon. The bill would further prohibit a person from possessing, manufacturing, or selling a rapid-fire trigger activator, end quote. Violations of the bill would result in a Class II misdemeanor. In addition to banning certain gun sales, the bill also aims to define an assault weapon, which is currently undefined in Colorado state statutes. The bill defines an assault weapon as a semi-automatic rifle that can have or be modified to have a detachable magazine and has one of a number of other features, including a pistol grip, an element to enhance concealability, a flash suppressor, and threaded barrel and more. There are exceptions to the bill, however. Bill restrictions wouldn't apply to members of the military or police departments, and the bill also allows licensed gun dealers who have remaining inventory of assault weapons as of July 1st to sell them to non-Colorado residents as long as the seller transfer takes place out of state. The bill comes not long after Colorado's latest mass shooting in November of 2022 when a gunman killed five people and injured another 19 people at Club Q in Colorado Springs. In other local news, if you are a veteran needing mental health care services, you now have more benefit options available to you. The new benefits for veterans went into effect on January 17th of 2023. With the new benefits, veterans experiencing an acute suicidal crisis can now visit any Veterans Administration or non-VA health care facility for emergency health care at no cost, including inpatient and crisis residential care for up to 30 days, and outpatient care for up to 90 days. The benefit is open to all veterans, including those not enrolled in the VA program. Highlights for the new veterans' benefits include providing paying for or reimbursement for treatment of eligible individuals, emergency suicide care, transportation costs, and follow-up care at a VA or non-VA facility for up to 30 days of inpatient care or up to 90 days of outpatient care. Make appropriate referrals for care following the period of emergency suicide care. Furthermore, the veteran's benefits would include determining the ability for other VA services and benefits and refer eligible individuals for appropriate VA programs and benefits following the period of emergency suicide care. If you are a veteran in crisis or concerned about one, you can contact a veteran's crisis line to receive 24-7 confidential support. You don't have to be enrolled in VA benefits or healthcare to connect. To reach responders, you simply dial 988, then press the number 1. You can also chat online at veterancrisisline.net slash chat, or you can text 838255. I'm Portia Cook, and that's all for your local news. Up next, you will find out what Black History Month events are taking place on and off campus this week in music events and entertainment news with me after the break. Support for KCSU comes from Chiba Hut. Chiba Hut Toasted Subs is a cannabis-themed restaurant with three locations in Fort Collins and two close to campus. Ordering is available online for pickup or delivery. For locations and a menu, visit ChibaHut.com.
I'm Portia Cook, and I'm back with your music events and entertainment news. We are in week two of February, which means more opportunities for you to get involved in Black History Month. Every year, Colorado State University offices creates events that intentionally highlight the accomplishments and contributions of African, African Americans, and Pan-African people and culture. This is done through collaborations with students, staff, and various partners on and off campus. Black History Month events kicked off on February 1st and typically go through the end of February. If you are currently on campus, you can head up to the third floor of the Lori Student Center and join those in the Black African American Cultural Center for the 4 p.m. Real Talk on Black Traditions in partnership with Africans United. This week's additional Black History Month campus events include the movie showing of The Rebellious Life of Miss Rosa Parks. A light dinner will be provided before the film showing at 6 o'clock p.m. with the movie showing shortly after at 6.30 p.m. Both the dinner and film will take place in the Behavioral Science Building in Room 131. If you're looking for things to do off campus, the Foothills Mall is holding its Black History Month art exhibit daily until February 28th. Curated by esteemed Fort Collins fine artist Louise Cutler, the exhibit entitled We Are Still Watching is on display in the west hallway of the mall. The exhibit is a powerful expression of Black historical figures from America's past that asks viewers to engage with these figures in 2023. This is an interactive exhibit that requires the use of your cell phone. To learn more about each individual on the wall, you must find the QR code, scan it, and click the link. This will then bring up who the person is and the role they played in America's history. For a full list of this month's Black History Month events and activities, you can visit the Black African American Cultural Center at baacc.colostate.edu. You can also tune into the Rocky Mountain Review every Tuesday as we will continue to keep you updated on all future Black History Month events taking place on and off campus each week. If you are looking for the most up-to-date music events and entertainment, you can visit KCSU's event calendar online at kcsufm.com. In music news, if you are like me, then you are starting to make plans for the spring and summer, which means you are planning for some live music at one of Colorado's beautiful music venues. Well, to help with that, Red Rocks has released a full list of its concerts that will be held at its venue for 2023. Some of the big names on this year's Red Rocks concert list include Wiz Khalifa, Sublime, Global Dub Festival, Reggae on the Rocks, and more. You can check out the full list of concerts online at redrocksonline.com. In entertainment news, K-pop stars are making waves, but this time in fashion. The 2023 Fall Winter Paris Fashion Week's menwear show included more representation than ever from South Korea. And... Many K-pop stars were there to help set the tone for Korea's importance on luxury fashion. Now, Billboard wants to hear from you on which K-pop star was the best dressed at the 2023 Paris Fashion Week. You can see all the K-pop looks from the menswear show and vote on the best dress online at billboard.com. I'm Portia Cook, and that's all for your music events and entertainment news. Now... An episode of the Runners of FOCO podcast, where hosts sit down with Beth Wright, an attorney for the Native American Rights Fund and career in running, as she discusses her experience with prayer runs, thoughts on CSU's land grant acknowledgement, and the importance of running in her own heritage. I'm Tatum. And I'm Corey. And welcome to the Runners of Fort Collins. This is your connection to all the people and places that make Fort Collins a great place to both live and run. 
Every episode, we'll be sharing a PB&J with a local runner and getting the scoop on all things running in our community. Tatum and I are really excited for the interview we have for you guys today. We interview Beth Wright, who is an attorney at the Native American Rights Fund, and she gave the Indigenous Peoples Day keynote here at CSU. And now, so in the intro of her keynote, she said that she was a runner. So naturally, Tatum and I pounced afterwards, and we exchanged email addresses and set up this interview. Uh, We did it virtually, so please... Uh, forgive some of the sound weirdness, um, but it's a really exciting interview. So real quick before we get started, here's just a little bit about Beth and about our interview with her. So Beth is from the Pueblos, Taos, and Laguna. Um, and in this interview, we talk about you know how Beth uses running as a form of advocacy, as well as like the long history of running in Indigenous communities. And we also hear a little bit about her experiences with prayer runs. But I'll let you hear all that from Beth. So usually we start our podcast by having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with our guest. But since this is a virtual version, yeah, that was kind of, for some reason, that became the theme of our podcast. Tatum and I just eat PB&Js like all the time, especially when we're like hiking or something. And so we like to start just by asking people like what their favorite PB and J or like some trail version thereof is. Do you have a do you have a favorite? Oh, I was gonna say just like the classic like Smuckers and Crestable. Oh, that's a good one. Just like good. just throw in your bag. Just always have like a super easy snack. I think they even make like a like a like a health food one now. It's like no organic way. peanut butter, gluten free bread. So that would probably be up my alley. <laughs> Whoa, shoot. Yeah, yeah, I don't I think I've had an Uncrustable since the health movement <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome. are great yes so easy i see them in law school all the time because they were mm. cheap and you could put them in the freezer and then just have them in your bag all day and then they'd be big, so. i imagine that's like a really great college food did you ever eat one that was like still partway frozen i could see myself doing that <laughs> yes yeah that's <laughs> the times you're just like i've i've got to eat and this is what i have <laughs> Your recent experience at the New York City Marathon? Yeah, it was it was good. Um, it was definitely the hottest marathon I've ever run. It was unseasonably warm. I think it was like 75 degrees for most of the race, so just an insane temperature for November in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good. I actually got out there because one of my best friends from growing up um, had organized the first ever land acknowledgement at the New York City Marathon. So, oh. uh, so New York City sits on land of the Lenape tribe and. Um, you know, land acknowledgments are gaining in popularity as people really recognize, you know, who are the original stewards of the land, who are the original runners of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, so my friend, she's Danae, um, so she's, she's Navajo, and she actually has a running podcast um, called Grounded, which focuses on indigenous runners. Um, but she also works with, she's big into sports and running, and she um, works with the New York Roadrunners to kind of organize that and also get an Indigenous delegation to the Parade of Nations the day before the marathon. Um, wow. So she, I, I was like, oh, I'll just sign up for the marathon and like run and support you and, just, you know, like have a reason to, to go to New York City. And we talked about this like a couple, like probably like a year ago. And then she got injured, so she didn't end up running, but she wow. still organized the race, um, the race event stuff. And um, was still there. And so it was, it was just cool to be there to support her in that mostly. 
Wow, that's so cool. <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, there's a lot of, you know, indigenous runners and a lot of times their stories are overlooked. And I think mm -hmm. most recently, last or 2021's Boston Marathon was set for Indigenous Peoples Day. And that was a mm -hmm. big oversight on their part, you know, setting it for a, a mm -hmm. holiday. So there really needs to be a bigger awareness in the in the broader running community of, you know, what Indigenous issues are and who the Indigenous runners are. And, you know, because we are running on Indian land all across the United States. Yeah. Is that a movement that you see? Is it just starting or is it like have a lot of races already start to do things like land acknowledgments? Or how do you see like where we are in that current movement? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I haven't really seen many other races do it. I think it's it has to be done well. You know, you have to I think a land acknowledgement can be performative if you're not really bringing in the right people and taking other action besides just saying, you know, we're on so and so's land. So yeah. I, I haven't seen it done a ton. But I think when it's, it's done well, um, it kind of looks how it did at New York City this year. And, um, you know, hopefully more races kind of see a major marathon doing that and, you know, really take the time just to figure out what that looks like for their own race. That's cool. Yeah. What about the New York City um, Marathon land acknowledgement did you like? Um, I just I just thought it was, it was done really well. You know, they had, um, I think New York City is hard because it's, it's such an urban area, you know, it's like such mm -hmm. a big city. It's one of the biggest cities in the United States. And so there are a lot of different indigenous people who currently live in New York City and to do amazing things in New York City and teach people in New York City and you know um, and so I think being able to acknowledge the original stewards of the land as well as modern um, you know present day Native people is is really important I think you know balancing those two is something that is, is important because you're not just saying you know the people that used to be here you're talking about the people that are here now that are running and living and breathing and you know carrying on their culture in, in, in present day as it's always existed so mm -hmm. yeah that's so interesting I feel like I never thought about that but it seems like like thinking about United States history it's like of course the people who once were in like the area uh, that New York City is now in is not going to be the same indigenous population that's there now uh, I never thought about that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And just because so many indigenous nations were displaced and forcibly removed from their, you know, ancestral homelands, many indigenous people, you know, don't have that direct tie to their homelands anymore because of history of U.S. policy and the, the need for the United States to expand and grow. So I think it's important to recognize, um, you know, the past as well as, you know, how indigenous people are alive and present and, and important and, um, and, yeah, and still carrying on their traditions. Yeah, it's cool to see like something as big as New York City Marathon, you know, making steps to in the direction of recognizing indigenous people how they should. And like, hopefully that's something that grows in the running community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, it's just about, you know, visibility. It, it is, I mean, mm -hmm. indigenous people have a long history of being erased intentionally because we don't like our history of our treatment towards them. And so being able to take up space in that way and, and you know, like, really advocate for your communities is, is really important. And I think running is, is something that needs that also, you know, that in the legal community and other communities, but running really needs that as well. Yeah. How do you personally engage in activism through running or otherwise, you know, connect with your indigenous heritage? Yeah, I think I like to say that, you know, running was like the original form of advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, I think running is, for especially for Native people, the original type of resistance. Um, and, you know, we've had to use other types of resistance, like legal resistance, legal advocacy, yeah. but running was really what Indigenous people used from the beginning. Um, so I think there's so many prayer runs that are going on. So there are so many sacred sites in the United States that 
um, that are being destroyed by oil and gas drilling and, you know, um, mining and just, you know, disregard for the sacredness of the site. And so a lot of tribal nations organize or, or tribal communities organize prayer runs to kind of gain public, larger public awareness of what's happening to the issue. So there was, there's a sacred site called Chaco Canyon, which is in New Mexico. And it's the um, one of the ancestral sites of the Pueblo people and the Hopi and the Navajo. And so there was a recent prayer run um, from uh, central New Mexico up to Chaco Canyon. And so I, I did that with some other people to kind of, you know, show that, you know, we, we're still out here, we're still using the land. Um, we're still willing to, you know, put our bodies on the land to protect our sacred sites. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's still one of the, the best ways that we can, we can be advocates for our community is, you know, showing up and like being present in community with other community members who care about those sites and care about other people in our communities. And just, you know, the importance of showing people that, we're willing to run 200 miles in the middle of a desert to, wow. to show how important that land is and how important that land has always been. So. Yeah, I think just, just you know, doing stuff like that, there's it's so many different types of prayer runs to protect sacred sites. So um, participating in that really shows the community that you're, you know, just willing to, to be there for everyone and be there with everyone as well. That's amazing. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, apologies if you said this already, but did you participate in this? Uh, prayer run in the yeah. Chaco Canyon, you said? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was, it was right when I was moving from Seattle to Denver for my current job at North, and I had like two days to move, but the prayer run was like day two of the move, and I was like, oh, I just like have to like get down to New Mexico. So I like drove from Seattle to New Mexico in one day, and then like ran up. What? Like, yeah, to Chaco Canyon the second day, then like went back and got my car, and then drove back to Denver. It was like, oh. <laughs> it was like a nuts, like, I was like, I'm way too old to be doing this. And, like, <laughs> But, you know, it was just it just it was just important to be there. And yeah. um, one of my good friends who who um, is the executive director director of this organization called Wings of America, which focuses on um, running in indigenous communities and what that looks like and the importance of running to indigenous youth. He helped organize that. And so it was important for me to show up for him as well. So, Wow, that's respect <laughs> the driving before running yeah. something like that I had all my plans in my car too because I was moving <laughs> so I just I like killed every single plan I had no, I was just like no. I was like we're gonna we're gonna camp in the desert and you guys are gonna freeze and then you're gonna be really fine during the day but yeah it's okay some of them sacrifice <laughs> yeah. for worthy cause yeah. <laughs> so you said it was a 200 mile run was it like completed as a team like you guys each did sections or how did that work yeah so it was yeah it was more of just um yeah yeah, it wasn't like a race or anything. It was just sort of like running from spot to spot. And we yeah. stayed um, in different community members' um, land and homes and um, just got to, you know, be out there with everyone. But yeah, we didn't all run 200 miles. It was kind of like a staggered, like one van would meet the next van or someone would, you know, run more if they were able to, or we'd all run together at certain points. Um, one thing that's really scary is out there, there's a ton of oil and gas drilling and mm. in indigenous communities where there's more oil and gas drilling there's higher rates of missing and murdered indigenous women because uh, of the types of people that come to work mm. on oil and gas in oil and gas spaces and so you know sort of running out there and thinking about how the oil and gas drills are really you know harming the land and as well and also how the people who come to work for oil and gas drilling harm the community members who take care of the land um, is, is, is sort of like a scary thing to be out there running yeah, by yourself. Yeah. So when we would run in those areas, we'd sort of run together and you know run in a big group um, yeah, to yeah. kind of show that you know we're we're there with other people and um, mm-hmm. sh- show the solidarity of being together and running together. Mm. The people you were 
running with? Did you know them beforehand or did you meet them as you were running through the Chaco region? Um, some I knew um, and then some, yeah, that I, I just met there. I think there's a, a certain group of people who kind of run these run these types of runs all over and so you see them over and over again um and then um just yeah some new people who just like heard about it on social media who were like well i have you know an afternoon to come out and run with everyone so i'll show up for the afternoon or the morning um and my best friend from college who's like uh from like rural pennsylvania and has never been like on a reservation before she was helping me move so she um she came down and ran with me and um wow. so she got to meet everyone and you know see what it was like to be out there um so i had people that i've, I've known and run with a lot and then people that i I haven't met before, but, um, you know, who I, I share, you know, the same sort of values with who just wanted to be out there as well. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so for this prayer run, you said it was organized by a certain agency, by your friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it was, I think it was organized by a couple different groups. Um, there's the organization that I had mentioned, which was Wings of America, and they're a nonprofit based out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Cool. And they've been around for a really long time, um, but they focus on getting Native youth out running and getting Native communities out running and the importance of, you know, health and wellness to Native communities. And what they do is they organize running and fitness camps across the Navajo Nation and across mm -hmm. all the pueblos in New Mexico. And, you know, just I think it's like ages three to 18 can come out for two days in the summer and just play running games and, you know, learn about what running means to Indigenous communities and to be with other kids and, you know, learn how to stretch before a run and just just learn, you know, the importance of, of movement and running in your own community. And so that's what that's kind of what Wings is based off of. Um, and they also organize a Wings national team where they take the top seven native runners, high school runners from across the country and train them. And they run at like USA Nationals as a team. Um, yeah, because a lot of times native kids come from these schools that are on the reservation so college coaches you know aren't going to northern new mexico to watch a, a cross-country meet you know so yeah. this is like a way for native kids to to train with other native students and and race in, in a big college-like race and get to talk to other kids other native kids who are interested in running in college um and just kind of you know expose them to that um and i think Wings is also working on developing like a semi-pro native running team as well um sort of like from that group of native athletes that went through that high school program so they're sort of involved in all sorts of things native running and, and youth native running based um so they were one of the organizers and then i think the bears ears prayer run alliance was also part of that so they're the they're the people um who have organized prayer runs to protect to protect the bears ears so sort of like a couple groups came together for that um chaco canyon one i think you kind of mentioned this briefly but um why do you think running is such a like potent form of activism? I think I think it's because it's it's really based in prayer. I think running is sort of a way to you know be on the land and let your ancestors know that you're there and that you're using the land. Um, a lot of indigenous communities, I think probably most, um, it's hard to say, say all of them, um, are based with with some sort of stewardship and connection and responsibility to the land. And, um, you know, running has been something that is part of a lot of tri tribal nation ceremonies. So tribes use running, um, you know, in certain, in, in many different ceremonies, whether that's um, Pueblo people or Navajo people or just, um, you know, 
tribal nations from other other areas of the United States. I think running is something that is ceremonial to tribal nations and indigenous indigenous people, and so it's um, it's sort of been rooted in that um, forever because we've you know we we have our ceremonies that we've been doing since time immemorial, and those haven't haven't ever changed. And running has been a part of them for that long as well. Cool, that's really awesome. Uh, so have you always grown up running? As has this always been a way that you connect with your heritage? Um, and if not, like how did you discover that? Yeah, um, I yeah, I've definitely always grown up around running. Um, I'm from the pueblos of Taos and Laguna, so the pueblo of Taos is northern New Mexico, northern New Mexico, and the pueblo of Laguna is just outside of Albuquerque. Um, but the pueblo of Taos is where my grandparents lived and where my mom is from, and part of cer- some ceremonies there are are these foot races where Taos Pueblo is sort of like a village um, structured around this this um, creek that flows through the center of the village and so they divide the pueblo up and you know north north and south and depending on where you're from you sort of raced against the other side of the village during certain ceremonies and so it was the men that would race but the women would you know support the men and um you know organize um the, all the food for after and you know prepare them for these races and depending on which side of the village one, it was either six more weeks of winter or it was going to be um like a spring um so, so that was something that was very ceremonial and my uncles would always run that and my cousins would and my, my grandfather would run. And so I'd always be out there, you know, watching them run, and you know, cheering on them as they were running. You know, that's something I grew up with and have always seen. And it was always, you know, like so cool to see your, your grandpa coming down the, <laughs> the straightaway into the Pueblo and just see, seeing everyone cheering him on. And when your cousins were like the fastest ones, it was really cool. So, um, yeah, so I think that's something that, you know, instilled how the community came out to support the runners and and, and instilled how much of a community running is. Mm. So, yeah, I think that was, that was probably my earliest memories of running, which I, um, yeah, have, have a good memory of. When did, so when did you start running personally? Well, um, I always went, I always went a lot of different sports growing up. So I sort of oh. just was in like soccer, you know, like the classic, like soccer. And, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. But, um, my, I didn't start running track until I was, I think, a, a sophomore and then cross country when I was a junior. Um, oh, wow. So I was like a little later, but I always run in, in like soccer stuff. Um, but then I I um, somehow got really good in tra- at track my um, my junior year and then was like, oh, I guess I could do this in college. And then um, ended up going to Syracuse on a running scholarship and wow. then ran at Syracuse for four and a half years. Um, and yeah, it just sort of like happened really fast. But um yeah, it was, it was great. So. Yeah, what an amazing turnaround. You just start like your sophomore year and then a couple of years you're running at Syracuse. Yeah, it was, it was, it was so insane, but it was sort of one of those things like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to like do this all out, you know, I'm going to run as, <laughs> yeah. you know, at the highest level I can and really push myself and see where it takes me. And um, my dad's family's from Syracuse, so I just sort of knew that I had a good running program and reached out to them. It's like, oh, I'm, I haven't been running that long, but I hear my times and it sort of, you know, just sort of fell into place and ended up going there, so. Wow. So I was wondering, like, what it was like for you going from, like, experiencing running in your community um, in these, like, traditional events to, like, running in, like, a college, like, competitive setting? Like, did that just feel like completely different worlds? Yeah, I think that's something I never really reflected on until later. But, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I think, you know, high school, you still have um, your, it's competitive, but you still have your 
friends and your family close by and stuff. And I think in college, especially at a D1 level, it yeah. was really hard because it was so monetized, you know, like you were being paid to be there in a sense because your scholarship depended on it. And yeah. it was, you were competitive with the people that you didn't need to be competitive with, you know, because yeah. obviously college is like top seven and everyone wants to be top five. And so yeah. you're like racing your closest friends. And I think at least where I went, we had a really unhealthy culture of being competitive with each other where I think we could have run better as a team if we had really learned to lean on each other and um you know race with each other instead of race against each other and I think that was that was the hardest part I think um I sort of um had a really hard time thinking about it as a business that like I was just you know making not, I, like obviously cross country doesn't make the university money but like as like our performance really um was you know monetized and we really, if we ha- we just had to perform, you know, at all costs, it seemed like, it seemed like it wasn't really about our well-being and our, and the community. It was about like an individual type of, um, it, it just, it just relied on like, you know, the individual, I think more than I was used to. I had come from, you know, a community that rallied around the runners and, um, you know, everyone came together and it was, it was based in community. And then I, I went to this place where it was, you know, all on your own. Like you have to get better on your own. You have to be better. Than everyone else on your own and that was that was really hard because um yeah I wasn't used to that at all <laughs> I'd imagine like in a in a space like that it really like just stifles any kind of spiritual connection that you might have with running yeah it definitely did for a while I think of it as you know you're so focused on what running looks like in sort of like a non-native context you're like it's mm-hmm. it's built on this competitiveness and it's built on this individualism and sort of like forget where your love for running will come from and so I think by the end of my college career I sort of tried to go back to that and that's when I started running better um because I Syracuse is on the traditional and current homelands of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy and so once I was really like oh I'm you know I'm I'm back I'm like running on native land and I'm focusing on you know where my place is and and that native community and being a native student at Syracuse and my role there then I started running better because I started you know reminding it reminded me of home and, and and why I wanted to be out there running in the first place that's really cool but I was never actually that good. So. <laughs> never got that good. <laughs> but it's about so much more than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, like, I feel like your connection with running is so inspiring. You know, like, mm-hmm. you you are a model runner in a lot of ways, I think. Um, one yeah, thing is that, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I, think, I appreciate you saying that because I think that's that's so important, especially for now. Like, you know, you, like, what is the model runner? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. for so long been a certain type of person. And I feel like now it's really important to see how all these different people can come together and be runners and run major marathons and so they're they're and run you know major races and I think it's that's it's such an important shift to really see inclusivity in the running world and yeah. and shift to that. Yeah I know I've been inspired by seeing like you know kind of I think this is the similar spirit but in two different anecdotes. Like when you see um indigenous folks running like in honor of like missing and murdered indigenous women um mm-hmm. or when you see like openly gay runners like just their career skyrocket after they come out. And I feel like in both of those cases, um, you know, maybe it doesn't need to all be performance based, but I feel like if you just like really can connect with like who you are and where mm-hmm. you come from, that will like make your mm-hmm. relationship with running a lot healthier and like you can do a lot more good for other people. Um, and yeah, I feel like like you mentioned, Beth, it's been really beautiful to see the running world become like more accepting. Um, and, you know, maybe that's just my narrow view of it has been broadening, but maybe that's good. Like maybe other people's narrow view of it is still broadening. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, 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 yeah, I think there's supposed to be space for that, you know, like that these races and the community has to have space for people to, you know, be who they are and be safe in who they are in those spaces as well. Um, I think like, I don't know, one thing that's really important to Tatum and I with this podcast is that we try to bring like light to that diversity, like within the Fort Collins community and more broadly of people who are running from like all backgrounds and at all times of their lives. Um, like, I think especially like your story is really interesting of how you grew up with running in your community and then ran in college and then are still running now. And like, that's something we really love highlighting um, in this podcast is especially like how running develops and changes as we like grow up and how we can like continue to have this relationship with running that kind of like evolves as we change. Um, because it, yeah, I think like the other thing that can really suck about running in college is it's such a like short term view. It's like this four years is the only thing that matters. And when I'm like 22, like I'm going to be slow and old and like I can't <laughs> run in it anymore or something. Yeah, yeah, that's such an important perspective. Um, yeah, you are in this like bubble in college, you know, and you're not really thinking about the longevity of running and, you know, how that how that impacts your life at, at different stages. But I think for me, it's something that I, I want to always keep doing because, you know, it's a way for me to, you know, teach teach my children and the next generation, like, like what it's done for me, you know, and, and what I've learned from it and teach them, you know, how to be part of my community and how to be a good community member. And I think running has really been the catalyst for me that's allowed me to do that. That's really cool. Like, in what ways would you say it's done that? I think it's, it's just brought me to so many different spaces. I think it's something mm -hmm. that you can really connect with so many people about, because, um, you know, everyone's, everyone's in some sort of race or, um, everyone's, you know, run for something at some point, it seems like. And so being able to just share that with other people or, um, yeah, like just show up at a prayer run or, you know, be counted on in, in that way. Um, and, and especially for me, just, you know, teaching what people, like what advocacy looks like in, in other ways besides, I'm always looking for what advocacy looks like in other ways besides legal advocacy, because I don't want to be defined by just being an attorney and just my job. I want to be an advocate for my community in as many ways as possible. And I think being able to show other people and show my community that advocacy looks so different depending on, you know, what you, who you are and, and, and what you are advocating for. And I think it's important that, that, that people know all the strengths that they bring and how that can, how that can support their communities in different ways as well. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite, are you in like Denver proper right now? Yeah, there's like a state park that's 20 minutes outside of Denver that has some really okay. nice trails that's not just, you know, paved trails and running there because I'm all about convenience too. You know, I got have yeah. things to do. I, I would like to I like to get my run done with and it makes me a better person if I run, but I, I'm not trying to be out there all day. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about like running on trails versus running like in college? Like Tate and I would like make fun of ourselves in college a lot because you end up running cross country races on like golf courses that are like super manicured, like so controlled. And you do like five laps around this golf course because you want it to be like as fly as po possible so people can like PR. Um, I was wondering, I don't know, like I feel like when we started running on trails, it became so much more connected to the land. Like you're not in a super controlled space anymore. You're like actually out there in an environment, like kind of like negotiating with it in a way. And I was just wondering like what your experience was with that kind of transition. Yeah. I know I totally agree. I came from New Mexico and it would be like sand dunes running. Uh -huh. like, 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 oh. sand in some areas. And then oh I got to New York and I was like, oh, people run golf courses. It makes it so much easier. Um, and there's grass here too. Um, yeah, but we actually had a ton of trails in Syracuse, which is really nice. Um, and I think that's what made me, you know, 
go back to being grateful for running in, in a more land-based community-based area because I got to run on trails um, and I got to run in sort of these you know un-industrial or undeveloped places um, but yeah I think it's hard I think one thing that what that question made me think of is sort of like accessibility I think people always say like oh all you need for to run is like a pair of running shoes and it's it's so easy anyone can be a runner but that's actually like obviously not true you know like depending on where you live like do you have a trail by your house like do you live mm-hmm. in a city that's that you feel safe running in that you can step out the door running you know so I think rethinking what accessibility means in running is really important as well and making sure that it's something that's accessible for for all people is is important but um mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're, we're lucky to live in Colorado where we can access so many trails. Um, but but I think even then, like, you don't really see, you know, people of color running on trails as much. It's sort of like um, sort of something where you go to a trail race and it's and it's a lot of people who who are are white, you know, and who who have the money and the and the resources to do those trail races. So thinking about um, making making you know trail running indigenous again is 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 something that I think is really important as well. Yeah, it's such a shame that it's gone to that way, like knowing that it, there is such a deep history of running. And yeah, and I, I'm so grateful for, for like other movements. Like I think I, I think it was Mount Evans that was just renamed to um, its indigenous name. And so I think stuff like that, you know, makes running more accessible because it doesn't erase the original runners of the land. You know, it makes people mm-hmm. saying like, oh, I know this mountain. My community has always known this mountain. My community has always known this land. Like it's okay for me to be out there. It's not this it's not the name of this person that, you know, destroyed my community or, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. tried to erase my identity. It's, it's, it's the mountain that my community has always known and has always been like sacred to, to my community. So stuff like that is, is really important in running too, but it's sort of like this side thing that's like in, kind of important in another way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm drinking a beer right now, which you guys can't see because I'm, <laughs> I can be on my camera. <laughs> that's good. Sounds oh, like a nice head. evening. So I'm wondering what your like future goals look like for running. Like running in the New York City Marathon is amazing. Are you going to try and run more like marathons like that one? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, I, um, I, I like, I think obviously being a college runner, like, I feel like the, ne- the next, the transition is like running the marathon sort of. I feel like that's pretty common. I was like, well, yeah. I run the marathon. <laughs> and you're like, but why? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I feel like I've done that and it's, it's been great. I've, I'm happy to, uh, you know, I've got to run in these cool places and stuff like that, but I think running is just more, like I said, like social based for me now. I, I like, I'm happy to sign up for a race with my friends. I, all my, all my best friends live back home in um, New Mexico or live sort of in, in other areas, depending on where their jobs are taking them. So it's been a really amazing thing to be able to say like, oh, let's sign up for a race and we'll all meet in San Diego and, and run the San Diego half together. And yeah. We're all different paces, but we'll, you know, sort of spend the weekend together and do that. Um, so I think I, I yeah I think that's what running looks like for me. I'd obviously like to be fast still, and so I think I'll you know I'll try and train as hard as I can. Um, and it definitely takes me away from being a lawyer, which is nice because I I get to do something else besides sit at my desk and yeah. um, sit in a dark room. <laughs> so you like remember that you're like a human with a body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, so I, I think yeah, just it's a great way for me to you know support my friends and and see my friends run and see my friends reach their goals and I think as well like I'd, I'd love to keep doing um you know these prayer runs I think you know we my my law firm we we write a lot of brief briefs and argue a lot of cases on behalf of sacred sites and sacred places and tribal sovereignty and I think we can we can write as much as we want we can show up in federal court we can show up in state court um but it's so important for us to also be in our communities that we're advocating for so I think um 
I'd, I'd you know love to be you know present when um, you know these communities are organizing these community based activities and, and and runs and stuff because it shows that you know we're you know we, we really are about you know what we say we're about um, and so I, I'd, I'd love to be that sort of person who's who's based in my community and I think that makes me a better advocate when I have to go to these these sort of like foreign spaces that aren't traditional or aren't don't respect our traditions, um, don't respect our culture, don't respect our sovereignty. Um, and I think being able to go back to the community and and go back to these um, traditional customs um, really like reminds you of, of why you're doing what you're doing and and how to really advocate for your community as well. That's really amazing. How do you think um, like non-indigenous folks can support things like prayer runs best? I think I think they should you know come you know I think it's it's you know everyone it's great to have everyone there I think mm-hmm. um, it's a great way to to listen and learn from indigenous communities and you know follow the lead and and respect tradition and understand traditional customs. Um, my my best friend from college is non-native, but she she came and she you know she participated in all of the the ceremonial aspects of the prayer run and she was just you know present and. You know, that was the best way she could be there for me and for my community and for people like me. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, showing up and, um, you know, like figuring out when these these events are and these parents are and, and you know, seeing what you can contribute or what you can bring or even just, yeah, just bringing yourself and a friend or something is, is, is definitely what matters. That's cool. I really like, like, I want to emphasize what you said about like listening and being present. I feel like that's such an important practice that, you know, like a lot of people need maybe to learn how to do, but at the face of it isn't something that's that hard to do to just be there and listen yeah yeah definitely i think that you know you learn so much from just, from just listening and you know not centering yourself and, mm. and taking a step back definitely do you know are they're like so if people are local to colorado or fort collins or denver um do you know of organizations that do things like prayer runs locally i don't know of any local prayer runs but i think it's just um or organizations that focus on that, but I think like following like the local, you know, like native native orgs in your area. Like there's there's um, in Denver, there's the Denver Indian Family Resource Center and Spirit of the Sun and um, just orgs that are are for the communities for indigenous communities in your area. Um, and just kind of like you know keeping an eye on what they're doing and showing up to some of those events. Because I think a lot of times they organize you know different events that might be running but are community based um, and just being connected that way. You know. Like, kind of gives you an idea of, of what's being what's happening um and yeah, if there are any prayer runs that are, are being planned or if if the, that like organization is sending a group of indigenous people to a different prayer run or something like that so. are there any other organizations or anything that you want to give a shout out to yeah um definitely my law firm the native american rights funds um we're the oldest nonprofit indigenous law firm in the country and we do everything from indian child welfare acts work to protection of sacred sites um to protecting tribal sovereignty and it's just it's just like the dream job every day i'm like what am i doing that i got so lucky to, to do this work and all the attorneys here are brilliant and just so devoted to you know not only protecting tribal sovereignty but asserting tribal sovereignty and advancing tribal sovereignty and i'm really lucky to work for an organization like nerf that's so cool it's really important work we're happy that you're doing it <laughs> and the last question we always want to ask people is just like, I don't know, how do you put it, Dana? You want to say, why do you run? Was it, why do you run? Yes. I, why do I run? Um, well, there's two answers, so I can, you know, um, sort of, you know, stay healthy and <laughs> um, be a better person, but also just to advocate for my community. I think that's, that's why I'll, I'll run as long as I can is 
to be there for my community and be there with my community. Thank you to KCSU for supporting this podcast. Thanks to the FOCO running community for being awesome. And to all of you, our listeners. The music to this podcast was composed by Martin Tong and accessed through Universal Production Music. You can check out our podcast on the KCSU website, the KCSU app, and Spotify. Happy trails. Until next time. State University, the women's rugby team competes in the Mountain West Rugby Conference, working to establish themselves as leaders on and off the field. Women of all different backgrounds, experience levels, and interests are welcome to join the CSU women's rugby team. Practices and home games are held on the IM fields. To get involved and define the team's game schedule, go to csuwrugby.com. My name is Eliza Drota. This is your RMR Sports Report. In track and field news, the team competed in both the Invitational at the Peak and the Colorado School of Mines multi-event in the same day on February 4th, traveling to both Golden and the U.S. Air Force Academy. Their next event is going to be on. Their next event will be taking place at the Don Kirby Invitational in Albuquerque, New Mexico. In men's basketball, the team is now 10 and 14 on a five-game losing streak. Their most recent loss to Utah State being a match here in Fort Collins, 79-88. to Their next match will be against the Air Force Academy this week. In women's basketball, the team is now 15-8 and on a two-game winning streak. Their most recent win coming from the Wyoming match earlier this week here in Fort Collins with a win 66-63. Their next matchups are going to be San Jose State and Fresno State later this week. And finally, in women's swim and dive, the team is 8-0-1 overall with a two-game winning streak, two-match winning streak, actually, if you want to use the correct terminology for women's swim and dive. Their final meet of the season is going to be at the Denver First Chance Invitational later this week before they head off to the Mountain West Championships in mid-February. These will be taking place in Houston, Texas. My name is Eliza Drotar. This has been your RMR Sports Report.
Stay tuned for Vibin' and Thrivin' with me, DJ Adair, next up on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Portia Cook with your Fort Collins weather report. Today was mostly sunny with a high of 45. Tonight, you can expect clear skies and a low of 23. Wednesday continues with highs in the mid-40s with cloudy skies and a 14% chance of rain. Wednesday evening brings us partly cloudy skies and a low of 25 degrees with 20 mile per hour winds. As for the rest of this week's weather, you can tune in for the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Portia Cook with your KCSU Weather Report. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guest today, our news producer, as well as the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Portia. And I'd like to thank you, Kira. And finally, we couldn't do this without you. Dear listener, thank you. If you missed any part of today's show, you can find the RMR podcast on kcsufm.com under news or podcast. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcast by searching KCSU News. And with that, we'll see you next time.